chapter ten of pioneers of the old south by mary johnston this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten church and kingdom virginia all this time with maryland a thorn in her side was wrestling with an autocratic governor john harvey this avaricious tyrant sowed the wind until in sixteen thirty five he was like to reap the whirlwind though he was the king's governor and in good odour in england where rested the overpower to which virginia must bow yet in this year virginia blew upon her courage until it was glowing and laid rude hands upon him we read an assembly to be called to receive complaints against sir john harvey on the petition of many inhabitants to meet seventh of may but before that month was come the council seizing opportunity acted for the whole immediately below the entry above quoted appears on the twenty eighth of april sixteen thirty five sir john harvey thrust out of his government and captain john west acts as governor till the king's pleasure known so virginia began her course as rebel against political evils it is of interest to note that nicholas martian one of the men found active against the governor was an ancestor of george washington harvey thrust out took first ship for england and there also sailed commissioners from the virginia assembly with a declaration of wrongs for the king's ear but when they came to england they found that the king's ear was for the governor whom he had given to the virginians and whom they with audacious disobedience had deposed back should go sir john harvey still governing virginia back without audience the so-called commissioners happy to escape a merited hanging again to jamestown sailed harvey in silence virginia received him and while he remained governor no assembly sat but having asserted his authority the king in a few years time was willing to recall his unwelcome representative so in sixteen thirty nine governor harvey vanishes from the scene and in comes the well-liked sir francis wyatt as governor for the second time for two years he remains and is then superseded by sir william berkeley a notable figure in virginia for many years to come the population was now perhaps ten thousand both english-born and virginians born of english parents a few hundred negroes moved in the tobacco fields more would be brought in and yet more and now above a million pounds of tobacco were going annually to england the century was predominantly one of inner and outer religious conflict what went on at home in england re-echoed in virginia the new governor was a dyed-in-the-wool cavalier utterly stubborn for king and church the assemblies likewise leaned that way as presumably did the mass of the people it was ordered in sixteen thirty one that there be a uniformity throughout this colony both in substance and circumstance to the canons and constitutions of the church of england as near as may be and that every person yield ready obedience unto them upon penalty of the pains and forfeitures in that case appointed 
and indeed the pains and forfeitures threatened were savage enough official virginia loyal to the established church was jealous and fearful of papistry and looked askance at puritanism it frowned upon these and upon agnosticisms atheisms pantheisms religious doubts and alterations in judgment upon anything in short that seemed to push a finger against church and kingdom yet in this virginia governed by sir william berkeley a gentleman more cavalier than the cavaliers more royalist than the king more churchly than the church there lived not a few puritans and dissidents going on as best they might with established church and fiery king's men certain parishes were predominantly puritan certain ministers were known to have leanings away from surplices and genuflections and to hold that archbishop laud was some kin to the pope in sixteen forty two to reinforce these ministers came three more from new england actively averse to conformity but governor and council and the majority of the burgesses will have none of that the assembly of sixteen forty three takes sharp action for the preservation of the purity of doctrine and unity of the church it is enacted that all ministers whatsoever which shall reside in the colony are to be conformable to the orders and constitutions of the church of england and the laws therein established and not otherwise to be admitted to teach or preach publicly or privately and that the governor and council do take care that all nonconformists upon notice of them shall be compelled to depart the colony with all convenience and so in consequence out of virginia to new england where independents were welcome or to maryland where any christian might dwell went these tainted ministers but there stayed behind puritan and non-conforming minds in the bodies of many parishioners they must hold their tongues indeed and outwardly conform but they watched lynx-eyed for their opportunity and a more favourable fortune having launched thunderbolts against schismatics of this sort berkeley himself active and powerful with the council almost wholly of his party and the house of burgesses dominantly so turned his attention to popish recusants of these there were few or none dwelling in virginia let them then not attempt to come from maryland the rulers of the colony legislated with vigour papists may not hold any public place all statutes against them shall be duly executed popish priests by chance or intent arriving within the bounds of virginia shall be given five days warning and if at the end of this time they are yet upon virginian soil action shall be brought against them berkeley sweeps with an impatient broom the kingdom is cared for not less than the church in virginia any and all persons coming into the colony by land and by sea shall have administered to them the oath of supremacy and allegiance which if any shall refuse to take the commander of the fort at point comfort shall commit him or them to prison foreigners in birth and tongue foreigners in thought must have found the place and time narrow indeed on the eve of civil war there arose on the part of some in england a project to revive and restore the old virginia company by procuring from charles now deep in troubles of his own a renewal of the old letters patent 
and the transference of the direct government of the colony into the hands of a reorganized and vast corporation virginia which a score of years before had defended the company now protested vigorously and with regard to the long view of things it may be thought wisely the project died a natural death the petition sent from virginia shows plainly enough the pen of berkeley there are a multitude of reasons why virginia should not pass from king to company among which these are worthy of note we may not admit of so unnatural a distance as a company will interpose between his sacred majesty and us his subjects from whose immediate protection we have received so many royal favours and gracious blessings for by such admissions we shall degenerate from the condition of our birth being naturalized under a monarchical government and not a popular and tumultuary government depending upon the greatest number of votes of persons of several humours and dispositions when this paper reached england it came to a country at civil war the long parliament was in session stafford had been beheaded the star chamber swept away the grand remonstrance presented on edge hill bloomed flowers that would soon be trampled by rupert's cavalry in virginia the assembly took notice of these unkind differences now in england and provided by tithing for the governor's pension and allowance which were for the present suspended and endangered by the troubles at home that the forces banded against the lord's anointed would prove victorious must at this time have appeared preposterously unlikely to the fiery governor and the ultra-loyal virginia whom he led the puritans and independents in virginia estimated a little earlier at a thousand strong and now for all the acts against them probably stronger yet were to be found chiefly in the parishes of isle of wight and nansman but had representatives from the falls to the eastern shore what these virginians thought of the unkind differences does not appear in the record but probably there was thought enough and secret hopes in sixteen forty four the year of marston moor virginia too saw battle and sudden and bloody death that opechancanough who had succeeded powhatan was now one hundred years old hardly able to walk or to see dwelling harmlessly in a village upon the upper pamunkey all the indians were broken and dispersed serious danger was not to be thought of then of a sudden the flame leaped again there fell from the blue sky a massacre directed against the outlying plantations three hundred men women and children were killed by the indians with fury the white men attacked in return they sent bodies of horse into the untouched western forests they chased and slew without mercy in sixteen forty six opechancanough brought a prisoner to jamestown ended his long tale of years by a shot from one of his keepers the indians were beaten and lacking such another leader made no more organized and general attacks but for long years a kind of border warfare still went on even maryland tolerant and just as was the calvert policy did not altogether escape indian troubles she had to contend with no such able chief as opechancanough and she suffered no sweeping massacres but after the first idyllic year or so there set in a small constant friction 
so fast did the maryland colonists arrive that soon there was pressure of population beyond those first purchased bounds the more thoughtful among the indians may well have taken alarm lest their villages and hunting-grounds might not endure these inroads ere long the english in maryland were placing sentinels over fields where men worked and providing penalties for those who sold the savages firearms but at no time did young maryland suffer the indian woes that had vexed young virginia nor did maryland escape the clash of interests which beset the beginnings of representative assemblies in all proprietary provinces the second like the first lord baltimore was a believer in kings and aristocracies in a natural division of human society into masters and men his effort was to plant intact in maryland a feudal order he would be palatine the king his suzerain in maryland the great planters in effect his barons should live upon estates manorial in size and with manorial rights the labouring men the impecunious adventurers whom these greater adventurers brought out would form a tenantry the lord proprietary's men's men it is true that according to charter provision was made for an assembly here were to sit freemen of the province that is to say all white males who were not in the position of indentured servants but with the proprietary and not with the assembly would rest primarily the law-making power the lord proprietary would propose legislation and the freemen of the country would debate in a measure advise represent act as consultants and finally confirm baltimore was prepared to be a benevolent lord wise fatherly in sixteen thirty five met the first assembly leonard calvert and his council sitting with the burgesses and this gathering of freemen proceeded to inaugurate legislation there was passed a string of enactments which presumably dealt with immediate wants at st mary's and which the assembly recognized must have the lord proprietary's assent a copy was therefore sent by the first ship to leave so long were the voyages and so slow the procedure in england that it was sixteen thirty seven before baltimore's veto upon the assembly's laws reached maryland it would seem that he did not disapprove so much of the laws themselves as of the bold initiative of the assembly for he at once sent over twelve bills of his own drafting leonard calvert was instructed to bring all freemen together in assembly and present for their acceptance the substituted legislation early in sixteen thirty eight this maryland assembly met the governor put before it for adoption the proprietary's laws the vote was taken governor and some others were for the remainder of the assembly unanimously against the proposed legislation there followed a year or two of struggle over this question but in the end the proprietary in effect acknowledged defeat the colonists through their assembly might therefore propose laws to meet their exigencies and governor calvert acting for his brother should approve or veto according to need when civil war between king and parliament broke out in england sentiment in maryland as in virginia inclined toward the king but that puritan nonconformist and republican element that was in both colonies might be expected to gain if at home in england the parliamentary party gained a royal governor or a lord proprietary's governor 
might alike be perplexed by the political turmoil in the mother country leonard calvert felt the need of first-hand consultation with his brother leaving giles brent in his place he sailed for england talked there with baltimore himself perplexed and filled with foreboding and returned to maryland not greatly wiser than when he went maryland was soon convulsed by disorders which in many ways reflected the unsettled conditions in england a london ship commanded by richard ingle a puritan and a staunch upholder of the cause of parliament arrived before st mary's where he gave great offence by his blatant remarks about the king and rupert that prince rogue though he was promptly arrested on the charge of treason he managed to escape and soon left the loyal colony far astern in the meantime leonard calvert had come back to maryland where he found confusion and a growing heat and faction and side-taking of a bitter sort to add to the turmoil william claiborne among whose dominant traits was an inability to recognize defeat was making attempts upon kent island calvert was not long at st mary's ere ingle sailed in again with letters of mark from the long parliament ingle and his men landed and quickly found out the protestant moiety of the colonists their father in actual insurrection the marylanders joining with ingle and much aided by claiborne who now retook kent island the insurgents then captured st mary's and forced the governor to flee to virginia for two years ingle ruled and plundered sequestrating goods of the proprietary's adherents and deporting in irons jesuit priests at the end of this time calvert reappeared and behind him a troop gathered in virginia now it was ingle's turn to flee regaining his ship he made sail for england and maryland settled down again to the ancient order the governor then reduced kent island claiborne again defeated retired to virginia whence he sailed for england in sixteen forty seven leonard calvert died until the proprietary's will should be known thomas green acted as governor over in england lord baltimore stood at the parting of the ways the king's cause had a hopeless look round head and parliament were making way in a mighty tide baltimore was marked for a royalist and a catholic if the tide rose farther he might lose maryland a sagacious mind he proceeded to do all that he could short of denying his every belief to placate his enemies he appointed as governor of maryland william stone a puritan and into the council numbering five members he put three puritans on the other hand the interests of his maryland catholics must not be endangered he required of the new governor not to molest any person professing to believe in jesus christ and in particular any roman catholic in this way he thought that right and left he might provide against persecution under these complex influences the maryland assembly passed in sixteen forty nine an act concerning religion it reveals upon the one hand christendom's mercilessness toward the freethinker in which mercilessness whether through conviction or policy baltimore acquiesced and on the other hand that aspiration toward friendship within the christian fold which is even yet hardly more than a pious wish and which in the seventeenth century could have been felt by very few to baltimore and the assembly of maryland belongs not the glory of inaugurating an era of wide toleration for men and women of all beliefs or disbeliefs whether christian or not but the real though lesser glory of establishing entire toleration among the divisions within the christian circle itself according to the act 
whatsoever person or persons within this province and the islands thereunto belonging shall from henceforth blaspheme god that is curse him or deny our saviour jesus christ to be the son of god or shall deny the holy trinity or the godhead of any of the said three persons of the trinity or the unity of the godhead or shall use or utter any reproachful speeches words or language concerning the said holy trinity or any of the said three persons thereof shall be punished with death and confiscation or forfeiture of all his or her lands and goods to the lord proprietary and his heirs whatsoever person or persons shall from henceforth use or utter any reproachful words or speeches concerning the blessed virgin mary the mother of our saviour or the holy apostles or evangelists or any of them shall in such case for the first offence forfeit to the said lord proprietary and his heirs the sum of five pounds sterling whatsoever person shall henceforth upon any occasion declare call or denominate any person or persons whatsoever inhabiting residing trafficking trading or commercing within this province or within any of the ports harbours creeks or havens to the same belonging an heretic schismatic idolater puritan independent presbyterian popish priest jesuit jesuited papist lutheran calvinist anabaptist brownist antinomian barrowist roundhead separatist or any other name or term in a reproachful manner relating to matter of religion shall for every such offence forfeit the sum of ten shillings sterling whereas the enforcing of the conscience in matters of religion hath frequently fallen out to be of dangerous consequence in those commonwealths where it hath been practised be it therefore also by the lord proprietary with the advice and consent of this assembly ordained and enacted that no person or persons whatsoever within this province professing to believe in jesus christ shall from henceforth be any ways troubled molested or discountenanced for or in respect of his or her religion nor in the free exercise thereof nor any way compelled to the belief or exercise of any other religion against his or her consent so as they be not unfaithful to the lord proprietary or molest or conspire against the civil government End of chapter ten